the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Happy New Year, my friends. January 2nd. Last January is so clear in my mind that I, I, I got to keep reminding myself that it's 2024. 2024. There's a surreal aspect to it, but so be it. It's probably been true for a lot of people who have lived long enough to have had many New Year's. When we say Happy New Year, we are wishing it to people, and generally speaking, it has been, in my lifetime, in the United States of America, a fairly accurate assessment, as most New Year's were generally happy. In this case, I would say that Happy New Year is a wish, as opposed to a presumption. I had a thought walking into the radio station, and it goes like this. Those who don't fight evil fight good. It's really a variation in the thought that I've, I've had all of my life, but it, it, I don't. what was my old way of putting it? I had a, I had a, a way of putting a, a similar sentiment, but when I think about it, it, it is really fascinating about not fighting evil. If if you don't think of Hamas as the quintessence of evil monsters, they're monsters. If human beings can be monsters, Hamas is monsters. It, it is a regime of sadism and cruelty of, uh, of, of the truly psychopathologic. And if you can, don't fight them, what you end up doing is fighting the good. You're fighting America, you fight Israel. It's, it's a perverse part of, the human, of human nature, and I can't quite figure it out except that it's a lot easier to fight the good than to fight the bad. That's a big part of it. You're not going to get hurt if you, if, you, uh, if you fight, as it were. I don't, I don't even mean in violence, just fight verbally. If you fight America, if you fight Christians, who's going to hurt you? But if you fight uh, Muslim regimes or, or Muslims... And I'm not speaking about all Muslims. I always have to make that clear for the people who don't wish to listen to 
what turns out to be morally true. Uh, but no, nobody would nobody would do to Islam what uh, is done. For example, the crucifix in urine, the famous piss Christ, or so-called artwork, an, an act of uh, which toured the country and and was part of exhibitions that got National Institute of of Art or whatever it's called, the NEA National. What's the uh, what's the uh, the the government arts grant? NEA, National Endowment for the Arts. Yeah, National Endowment for the Arts. <laughs> A crucifix in urine. Well, what what about uh, the LGBTQIA plus mockery of nuns at Dodger Stadium, which the Los Angeles Dodgers honored honored these people. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. You can mock publicly. You can be a a baseball team. I loathe the Los Angeles Dodgers, by the way, and I live in Los Angeles. I have come to loathe the cowards who run that organization. I hope they lose with their gigantic budget. I truly do. I root against them. I root against the Lakers. Uh, It is very sad, but uh, I don't choose based on geography. I, I I do if there's if the, if everything's morally neutral then I'm a I'm a local LA fan that's fine but uh, otherwise when uh, when teams go out of their way to mock my society why on God's earth would I root for them I rooted for the Texas Rangers they were the only ones who didn't cow to the, uh, the LGBT uh, QIA plus agenda. So they and they won the World Series. Isn't that something? The one Major League Baseball team that didn't have an LGBTQIA plus evening. Yes, you can mock you can mock Christians. Nothing will happen to you. You mock Muslims, you may die, as many have. Just draw, making a drawing of Muhammad is a death sentence. Salman Rushdie wrote a novel that Khomeini, the first monster to run Iran, uh, as it, when it became an Islamic republic, and uh, now has been stabbed. His whole life has been spent under this fatwa. So it, it takes courage to fight evil takes no courage to fight the good. So that's what the left is. The left is, will fight good. What's going to happen? Is Israeli, Israeli going to hurt you? <laughs> A Jew? Yeah, it's well-known. Jewish violence in America. I got a lot of issues with my fellow Jews, but violence is not one of them. You could, you could truly uh, defund a lot of police departments if, if the only people in a in a in a, in a district were Jewish. They don't tend to mug, rape, steal, loot. Well, that's what it is. And I wrote at the time. Remember with the statues during 2020 during the riots, all all engineered by the left. 
the title of a column I wrote at the time was, was it the left fights statues, the right fights evil. So that was a variation on the theme that those who don't fight evil fight good. Yeah, American imperialism, colonialism, capitalism. Yeah, America has been the greatest force for good. It's done bad stuff too, but it's been the greatest force for good. Israel is a, is a an island of decency, and that's why it's hated. That's why it's hated, because it does have a better society than the surrounding societies. Are you allowed to say that? If you're not allowed to say it, it is because the left, it, for the left, truth is not a value. Everybody knows Israel is a better, kinder, finer, more decent, more egalitarian, more just society than its surrounding societies. If you don't know that, there is something truly wrong with you. You are frightening if you can't acknowledge that. They don't acknowledge it at Harvard, do they? (laughs) Amazing. Did you know, would you get up, can you find the Queensland story? it, It has not left my mind. In Queensland, in, in, uh, in, in Australia, the university, uh, the PhD program, graduation exercises for PhDs, 80%, if I have it correct, if I remember it correctly, of the, of the PhD awardees wore kafias. They were in, in, uh, in sympathy with the Palestinians who've done a great deal for humanity, the, the, the greatest inventors of international terror in our time, the people who slaughtered the entire Israeli Olympic team. I mean, it's, it's quite a record the Palestinians have, I got to tell you. It's a pretty crappy record, morally speaking. But again, those who don't fight good, those who don't fight evil, will fight the good. That, that's what we're seeing in the world today. <laughs> the colonial, the colonial, this is the, this is the way to avoid dividing the world between the decent and the indecent, between the colonizers and the colonized. Yeah, you got to go to college to... To, f- to stop dividing the world between good and bad and decent and indecent. Yeah, that's what you learn at college. Are you a colonizer or are you colonized? 1-8 Prager 776. Happy New Year. The amount of nonsense that I, I of, of drivel that I read as a service to you, so you don't have to. <laughs> Paul Crudman, whom I consider one of the biggest fools, who writes publicly, is a uh, Nobel laureate economist, which means nothing to me. I ceased taking the prize seriously many years ago when there was a full-page ad many years ago, I mean decades, in the New York Times. Nobel laureates 
against capital punishment. And I thought, why do I care if you got a Nobel Prize in economics or chemistry, what you think about capital punishment? But we live in the secular age of the veneration of academic knowledge as opposed to wisdom. Wisdom is not taught. There is no wisdom at Harvard. There's some knowledge, but there is no wisdom. And I only use Harvard because it's the most prestigious. No, no not any longer. Uh, every day that the, uh, this president stays there is a, another day that, that Harvard loses its cachet. The speed with which Harvard has lost its cachet is actually uh, boggles, boggled my mind. I did not expect that. I've called our universities moral cesspools all of my life. I told you I discovered a piece I wrote in the Los Angeles Times when they still published me. They don't publish conservatives anymore. It's all left-wing. The entire opinion page is a predictable left-wing rag sheet. It's not even deep. It's just, it's so empty. It's, path- it's pathetic. It's really pathetic. It's sad. The Los Angeles Times is worthless. And uh, anyway, they publish me regularly. Uh, this is not sour grapes. I, I have a rather gigantic audience, a much bigger audience than the LA Times. So it's, it's not like, this is not sour grapes. This is just an expression of reality. Anyway, I wrote a piece when we, uh, this was 2000, I think, what was it, 2006? Let's see, what is it, 17 years ago? Now 18 years ago? It's, and uh, that uh, you, you learn anti-Semitism at an American university. So, just to show you, A, if you've listened to me for years, you've been getting pretty accurate assessments of reality, like on the lockdowns, like on the vaccine, so-called vaccine, I should say, and uh, the the uh, panic o- over, it's the hysteria over global warming. It's, it's perfect that Greta Thunberg, this lost child, who was the heroine of the global warming movement, of the climate change activists, wears a kafia. It's, it's fitting. Those, those who are not panicked about global warming are probably more likely, far more likely, to be pro-Israel. Interesting, no? What, what does one have to do with the other? It's hard to imagine big activists on climate change who are pro-Israel. Anyway, th- this fool named Paul Krugman wrote in the New York Times under the heading, The Biggest Threat to America's Universities. It's crucial to keep a sense of perspective. The extreme left may be morally no better than the extreme right, but in America, the extreme left has almost no political power, while, while the extreme right controls one House of Congress and a number of states. Is that awesome? He lives in a fantasy world. The extreme left controls Every major medium in the United States, except talk radio, and obviously in some independent, but NBC, ABC, CBS, PBS, NPR, CNN, 
New York Times, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, it, 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 the, the left controls the schools, the universities, the, the elementary schools, the high schools. And, and so, so he, he lies to you because he lies to himself. He believes, I truly believe Paul Krugman believes what he writes. I do believe that. And as I told you, there's no hope for people who believe lies. There is a hope for liars. They can repent. He can't repent. Really, there's no, uh, there, so the extreme left does not control, you, Gavin Newsom is not extreme left, Minnesota's not extreme left, Oregon is not extreme left, Washington is not extreme left. And what is exactly, what, tell me what is extreme about the right in Congress. Tell me. I, I want to know a policy, not the fact that you hate those who oppose you. So here, here is a, here's a great one. The third most popular comment, because you know I love reading comments, and to a comment on a New York Times article, you have to be a New York Times subscriber. Third most popular comment, thank you. This is most relevant, this is the most, they missed the word, the, this is the most relevant and succinct summary of our politics that I've ever seen. Is that awesome? They live, in, they live in a make-believe world, New York Times readers. Let's also focus on the biggest threat to our system of higher education, which is coming not from left-wing student activists, but instead from right-wing politicians. The, they never give examples. They never, we give examples every time. Yep. Either they're almost always wrong or I'm almost always wrong. That is the one thing we can agree on. But my track record is damn good. Their track record is damn bad. Yes. Left has almost no political power. How about all other power? Wait, left has no political... It has the president and it has the Senate, but it doesn't have... It has almost no political power. That is the Nobel Prize, a Nobel Prize winning columnist of the New York Times. And his readers think it was brilliant. Uh, here's a disappointment for you. I don't know if he's a disappointment. I don't know him well enough. Maybe he's not even disappointing. Maybe he's just awful. The governor, the Republican governor. It's so amazing. You appoint a Republican, a Republican appoints someone to the Supreme Court, and you it's it's a crapshoot whether they'll actually be a conservative. And you elect a, a Republican in many cases, it's a crapshoot whether they will be a conservative. But in, in this case, it's not just an issue of conservative versus liberal. It, it is an issue of decent versus indecent. So I think I reported to you that uh, last week, on a, uh, uh, this is from the National Review, on Friday, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine vetoed House Bill, he vetoed his own Republican-sponsored House Bill, the SAFE Act, which banned the regimen of puberty-blocking drugs, cross-sex hormones, 
and so-called gender-affirming surgeries on minors. Minors. And the participation of athletes in school sports based on their asserted gender identity rather than their actual sex. He vetoed that. Yes, let's allow girls to have their breasts cut off. Yes, let's allow 12-year-olds to have puberty blockers. Though in Europe, it's virtually unheard of that this is done on minors. They have virtually all stopped Finland, Denmark, Britain. But Mike DeWine thinks it's okay. Who are we to tell parents what they should do? Really? Aren't Child Protective Services sent to homes where parents don't do what they should do as parents? Oh, my my boy thinks he, he's eight years old and he says he's a girl. So, of course, he's a girl because these despicable therapists will tell them that, well, what do you want, a live girl or a dead boy? And that's it. What parent is going to say, I prefer a dead boy? So with that blackmail line, they'll commit suicide if you don't encourage them to be a girl. They, they encourage them to be girls. You can't be a girl, though. It's a gigantic lie that you can change sexes. It is enormous lie. There is no greater and more obvious lie. You cannot become the other sex. You can look like it. You can transform your body, but you cannot become it. Now, by the way, can you say that at Harvard? Just curious. DeWine's sudden onset radical libertarianism is not credible. DeWine just recently vetoed a bill that restricted localities from regulating flavored tobacco products. He thinks grown men can't have menthol cigarettes, but children can get their genitals reconfigured into non-working facsimiles. How's that? National Review does good stuff. That's really awesome. He vetoed a bill that would allow people to choose what flavor cigarette they have. Well, I've said this to you so many times. That, what is it, in the United States, you can't, you can't enter a cigar lounge if you're under 18, maybe under 21 in some states. Friends of mine sent me a box of cigars from Honolulu. This is one of the great stories uh, in my life. Now, you would think that that is about as easy a thing to do as you can. It's one state to another, correct? There's no customs, barrier, nothing. It was one of the most complex things this man had ever engaged in. He had to provide proof in Hawaii at the store that the recipient was over 21. That's me. 
So I had to send all sorts of proofs of my age to the store to enable him to send it. And uh, it's... That, that you can't do. See, if you're under 18, you can't get a box of cigars. But you can't have your penis cut off or your breast cut off. You can't be given hormones that only God knows what they do to you, preventing the natural growth of your testosterone and estrogen. What keeps me sane is the belief that there is a just God and these people will have to answer to him. That's what keeps me sane. The gender clinicians and activists who celebrated his veto do not believe in voluntary parental consent. They believe the law should be used to dispossess. This is a very important point. Non-affirming, quote-unquote, parents of their children that affirmation of gender ideology should become a requirement for adoption. Did you know that? Yeah, that's one of their policies. You can't adopt a child. Oh, my God. I could cry because one of my two children is. I would have been banned. Wow. It's a very scary thing. This, uh, the LGBTQ activism is very scary, very, along with the, uh, well, T is in there, yeah. Affirmation of gender ideology should become a requirement for adoption. So that now is that the case, that if you adopt a child, they will ask you uh, if you support gender transition in minors? Well, God, when I adopted my second son 30 years ago, they they tried to find out if I was a decent man, if I could support a child along with my wife. Hmm, strange questions, you know. Do I have a criminal record? I guess that was checked. They didn't ask if I think boys can become girls when they're 12. Because they can't. Or at 22, or at 32, or at 42. (laughs) Any sign of rejection of gender ideology should be considered a red flag indicating potential child abuse. Okay. Just thought I'd share that with you, Governor DeWine in Ohio. It's it's if even when we don't elect Democrats, we're not assured that a fool won't take office. One eight Prager seven seven six. Well, on a lighter note. Although it's it's both lighter lighter in the sense that it's absurd, but not light because it's a sign of our times. From the Daily Mail, did you see this one? I'm very curious if you caught this one. 
Sonia Semyonova, 45, claims she is in an erotic relationship with an oak tree. Yes. You did see it? But you didn't decided not to send it to me. Yeah, because it was... No, no, no. Okay. I totally get why you wouldn't no, send no. it. And you totally get why I would, I would actually announce it. After feeling a connection while lying on top of it during lonely COVID walks. A woman describes herself as eco-sexual. Says she is in an erotic relationship with an oak tree. Sonia Semyonova, 45, has always felt lonely, but says her new relationship with the tree has filled the void. Sonia, a self-intimacy guide. What does that mean? No, seriously, what does it mean? What do you do for a living? I am a self-intimacy guide? How to be intimate with myself. Hmm. Even says that the feelings she experiences with the tree are what she has always looked for in a person. Wow. Sonia from Vancouver Island, British Columbia, that figures. Said that yeah, she doesn't like people who talk much. That's a good one. Trees are laconic. Good point. The presence I feel with the tree is what I'm looking for, but that's a fantasy with a person. The feeling of being tiny and supported by something so solid. The feeling of not being able to fall. Well, let's see. Look, there was a a marriage of an, a, a woman with a, a porpoise. Remember that? I think it was an Israeli woman, actually. I know it was in a lot. I don't know if it was an Israeli woman. Married a porpoise. Uh, there are a lot of uh, confused women out there right now. It's very hard to build civilization, and it's very easy to destroy it. One of the great lessons of life. Dan Stevens is a senator from Alaska. Did you read his piece in the Wall Street Journal? An anti-Semitic occupation of Harvard's Widener Library? That's a great piece. I'd like to have him on the show. Let's try to get him on the show. I normally don't have politicians. I have nothing against politicians. I just, it's not, it's not, politics is not the essence of my program. Life is. Values. Shape politics. So here's the story. I was in Boston last weekend for, this is two weeks ago, from the Army-Navy game. The day after the game, five days after Harvard President Claudine Gay's disastrous testimony before Congress, I decided to walk the campus to reminisce about my time at Harvard, where I earned my undergraduate degree in 1987, and reflect about what had gone wrong at this once great university. I visited places that held significance to me while I was there, St. Paul's Catholic Church, my freshman dorm, and of course, Widener Library, a monument to learning, study, and contemplation that sits like a temple in the middle of Harvard Yard. 
When I walked upstairs to the famous Widener reading room, I couldn't believe my eyes. Nearly every student in the packed room was wearing a keffiyeh. Flyers attached to their individual laptops, as well as affixed to some of the lamps in the reading room, read, No normalcy during genocide, justice for Palestine. And, and Harvard allowed it. Hello, everybody. A happy new year to you. All of us at the Prager Show wish you a happy new year, with one exception. I won't say who. There is someone here who does not. I will just say that his initials are SM. I will not go further than that. Hello, everyone. I hope it is a happy new year. It's not starting out well, let's put it that way. Anyway, despair is a sin, and I coined that. I didn't coin that phrase. I brought that phrase to public attention. It was actually coined many years ago in a commentary on the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers. My commentary on that volume of the Bible will be coming out later this year, and I have one to go in the five volumes of the great Torah. Uh, it will fill your life with very important wisdom and goodness. It's called the Rational Bible, and I have uh, devoted a decade to it, plus 40 years of teaching prior to that. It's a lot. So I'm reading to you a fascinating piece by the senator from Alaska, Stevens. He went back to Harvard, his uh, alma mater, last month, and he went into the Widener Library, the esteemed library of Harvard, and uh, it was being desecrated by pro-Palestinian thugs uh, who put up banners and gave out sheets. They politicized the Widener Library, which is fine for the left. They, They ruin everything they touch, and now they're in cahoots with the pro Hamas world of evil. And so he went in and uh, he began speaking to one of them. They asked him if he supported a ceasefire in Gaza. He said he didn't. Strongly believed Israel has the right to defend itself and to destroy Hamas. I read to you now from the Wall Street Journal, their tone immediately changed. You're a murderer, one said. You support genocide, said the other. And as I concluded the last hour, Israel is committing genocide is as true as men give birth, and the same damn people say both. Because when you're prepared to lie a 100% lie, then why not do it everywhere? Men give birth and Israel is committing genocide are equivalent lies. If Israel wished to commit genocide, it could have done so for quite some time. There are more Palestinians today than ever before. It's not exactly genocide. Well, all it does is cheapen the real genocides. The word has been raped, and I use that term deliberately. The term has been raped by the left, like it has raped the term racism and gender. 
Excuse me, what did you say? I asked in disbelief. This is Senator Stevens. They repeated their outrageous charges. I tried to debate them, noting that the Israel defense charges don't target civilians, and that the only group attempting to carry out genocide is Hamas. But civil debate with these women, that's interesting, women, was pointless. As I was leaving Widener Library, they pulled out their iPhones and continued taunting, do you support genocide? Do you support genocide? The Harvard-Palestine Solidarity Committee posted some of this exchange on Instagram. As a U.S. senator who has been through two election campaigns, I've had plenty of iPhones aggressively shoved in my face by members of radical groups. Nevertheless, I was shocked and again ashamed of my alma mater. All of this, the anti-Israel protests, the big banner, the flyers, the iPhones, the taunting questions, took place inside the Widener Library, a revered place of quiet study for tens of thousands of Harvard students and alumni. Yes, remember, the left destroys everything it touches. Why not the Widener Library? They've already ruined Harvard. My thoughts then turned to Harvard undergrads. Imagine if you were an 18-year-old Jewish or Israeli student, or even a pro-Israel Catholic like me, and you wanted to study for your chemistry final in the Widener reading room on a Sunday morning. Imagine being confronted by this protest, obviously condoned by Harvard's leadership and commandeered by the Palestine Solidarity Committee the group behind the notorious statement that holds the Israeli government regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence in the immediate aftermath of the October 7th attack. Would you feel welcome at Harvard's most famous library? Would you feel rattled, intimidated, and harassed by the anti-Israel banner screaming, Stop the Genocide in Gaza? As Jason Riley, that is columnist of the Wall Street Journal, has written, If accusing Israel of genocide isn't defamation of Jewish people, I don't know what is, unquote. If you were that 18-year-old student, would you believe the vacuous statement recently put out by the Harvard Corporation after it decided not to fire Ms. Gay that, quote, disruptions of the classroom experience will not be tolerated? I'm so happy that she continues to be the president of Harvard. I can't tell you. I'm rooting for her. She is such a loser, and the Harvard Corporation is a bigger loser because they won't fire her because they're cowards and leftists. Leftism and cowardice go hand in hand. Courage. You don't have to be courageous to be a leftist in America. Every day she's president... It, it puts DEI, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Affirmative Action Programs, to shame. Everyone knows that because she's a black woman, she's president of Harvard. Everyone knows it. The whole Harvard Corporation knows it. All of Harvard knows it. All of America knows it. She's completely unqualified. That there are qualified blacks and qualified women is a given. Of course that's true. She's not one of them. Notice that all three women, uh, was it MIT, University of Pennsylvania, and Harvard? Remember the three presidents? They were all women. I think it's six out of seven presidents of Ivy League colleges are are now women. Doing well under these women. 
Women are playing a disproportionate role in wrecking American education. That's not an opinion. That is a fact. Now, what is it, 80 or 90% of elementary school teachers are women? Do you think that elementary schools are doing a good job? What is, is, is about 75% of high school teachers, you think they're doing a good job? Who is leading the, the drag queen story hour movement? Women. But of course, you're a misogynist if you criticize women. But if you criticize men, you're just another leftist. Yeah, this is... Uh, anyway, I'm thrilled she's, she's there. I am thrilled. The more people have contempt for the Ivy League, the better the country will be. If students were handing out flyers and hanging large banners in the Widener Library reading room denouncing, say, affirmative action, or NCAA rules allowing men to compete in women's swim, swim meets, Harvard leaders would shut them down in a minute. This is the senator from Alaska writing again in the Wall Street Journal. But an anti-Israel protest by an anti-Semitic group commandeering the entire Widener reading room during finals? No problem. Is that what Ms. Gay meant when she testified that, quote, it depends on the context? Not all university leadership is so craven, morally bankrupt, and afraid of the most vocal, radical sects of their own student bodies. Well, that's true, Senator, but nearly all. I serve on the board of visitors for the U.S. Naval Academy, which is the number one public university in America. The contrast couldn't be starker between the service academies and the Ivy League on issues like civil discourse, so-called safe spaces, trigger warnings, American history, and our unique and, yes, exceptional place in the world. And he ends, America's so-called elite universities used to be a positive source of our nation's power, strength, and influence. No longer. By the way, this is good news as we enter 2024. Colleges have the lowest reputation since they were created in the 17th century. More Americans have contempt for Harvard than admiration for it at this moment. That's a good sign for the country, in case you're looking for good signs. I don't know how Harvard will redeem itself. It, it might be able. Firing her would be a beginning. But the longer it takes, the more people come to realize what the Ivy League is about. By the way, I made a major boo-boo. It was not Dan Stevens, it's Dan Sullivan, the senator from Alaska. And what can I do? A boo-boo is a boo-boo, and I apologize for it. Senator Sullivan, I apologize to you. Bath, Maine. Wendy. Hello, Wendy. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much, Mr. Prager, for all that you do. You're welcome. And all it's that you my can. honor to do it. Thank you. And I just ran into your show this morning, and I've heard your name a lot over the years, and I attended um, the uh, Turning Point USA down in Phoenix and um, really noticed that what I am not doing personally as a Christian is standing up for what is right and wrong. I'm, I'm just silent. 
and the need for all of us to, you know, take God with us and, and proclaim the truth. And uh, all the, someone was saying that it's based on, um, that there's no God. It's, it's Rome fell because there was no God. It was based on them, you know? Um, I don't know. I just enjoy listening to you and I, and I'm praying for you and I, well, thank you. I appreciate all of that. And uh, what I, I just want to say, I, I went to this call because it says, remember God is in control and have faith. And, and at least that's what she said to the screener. So I want to deal with that issue about God in control. A lot of religious people, I am one of them, wouldn't have spent my life advocating God and Judeo-Christian values if I weren't or writing most difficult work I've ever engaged in, the, the, my commentary on the on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But I, I don't know why the God is in control. I don't know what that means. What what does it mean? Does it mean therefore bad won't happen? No. I mean, no religious person says bad won't happen because God is in control. I mean, the person would look so foolish as to not be taken seriously. So since bad can happen, I mean really, 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 really bad, like World War One, World War Two, communism, fascism, Nazism, Hamas, I mean, so what does it mean? And I don't know, I really don't know what it means. I believe that God ultimately dispenses just and punishes the evil and rewards the good. I do believe that deeply. It keeps me sane. But that's not the same as God is in control. So it's an interesting question. We should do an ultimate issues hour on that. What does it mean God is in control? So I I really want to know what people think when they say that. If God is in control and, and you literally believe that one, why should we do anything? The, the moment you do anything, you are affirming that God is not in control, which is correct. God has opted to allow us to do bad things, really, 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 really bad things. So that's why I took the call, and I'm, and I'm happy that the, the screener put up the, the words. Okay, that's it on that. Okay, let's see here. Clearwater, Florida, Mike, hello. Hello, Happy New Year, Dennis. Thank you, I hope it is. You don't sound too happy, though. Well, I am happy, I but I don't hide the fact that I'm concerned about evil. I, I I I can chew gum and walk at the same time. I have a very happy personal life, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you things are good when they're not. Dennis, I've been listening to you for years. No question, you are the most intelligent commentator on radio or TV. And I listen to Fox. I listen to CNN. I take all opinions. I'm 87 years old. I hope you give me a couple of minutes. Because I've been on hold for 30 minutes. Uh, I'm 87. I have four children, nine grandchildren. 
One of my one of my daughters, one of my granddaughters, is a graduate in St. Leo University with a going in her master's. Very very intelligent young woman, and thank God she's still a conservative. Partly because of COVID, she did a lot of her school online. She wasn't subject to the face to face contact with the teachers. I am very concerned for this country. I feel definitely, definitely that there's going to be civil strife. If Donald Trump is elected, I guarantee Portland, Seattle, New York, Boston, Philadelphia. Yeah, every major city will have riots. That is correct. Violent riots, if that's not redundant. I I agree with you. Okay, that's right. Thank the, 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 yes, thank you. God bless you. The the uh, the left's rule is we can do anything. They the our opponents can do nothing. That's what it is. The violent riots of twenty twenty. By the way, over a lie. It does appear. Uh, I am convinced that Derek Chauvin did not kill. Uh, George Floyd. I was pretty uh, convinced of this based on what I read of the coroner's report, which never came out because the coroner was afraid uh, uh, to be hurt because the left would hurt. Uh, They hurt people who tell the truth as a general rule. And it was, in fact, standard operating procedure for the Minneapolis department to keep a, a, a perpetrator or suspect down with a knee to the side of the neck, that does not lead to suffocation. Should he have let up with, with uh, earlier? That's a fair question. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but there were riots over that because the media led them to believe it was a white killing a black because of racism. All the blacks killing whites are not reported in this country. Well, bad news. Harvard president resigned. So the latest news just in, literally just in. Yeah, from where? Harvard Crimson? Yeah, Yeah, that's what I have up. Harvard president Claudine Gay will resign Tuesday afternoon. That's today. Bringing an end to the shortest presidency in the university's history. It was very fitting that this uh, person, uh, this this morally confused individual, who I, I brought nothing to the table except that she was a black woman, which was totally and, and a leftist. That remember that's very important. The Harvard uh, Corporation is not merely cowardly; it's also left wing. So the combination of black, female, and left. That's powerful. University spokesperson Jonathan Swain declined to comment on Gay's decision to step down. Her decision. (laughs) Yes, there was no pressure. Comes amid growing growing allegations of plagiarism. What is it, six more allegations that just came up? and lasting doubts over her ability to respond to anti-Semitism on campus after her disastrous congressional testimony December 5th. I was watching a a left-wing commentator, Crystal something, what's her name? 
there's a crystal. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember the last name. And she was the way she depicted. Uh, it was a lie. She lied. We. I have to play it for you. How easily left-wing people lie is because truth isn't a left-wing value. She lied about what, in fact, uh, the presidents of the universities, MIT, uh, Penn, and, and, and Harvard said. She made, she made it sound like it was nothing. Gay weathered scandal after scandal over her brief tenure facing national backlash for administration's response to Hamas's October 7th attack and allegations of plagiarism for her in her scholarly work. The corporation, the university's highest governing body, is expected to announce the resignation to Harvard affiliates in an email later today. Gay is also expected to make a statement about the decision. I can, I, I'm writing her statement. It is because of my love for Harvard and my realization that I am now a distraction from its important work that I have decided to step down because I am not the issue. Harvard is the issue or something to that effect. Or my hope and prayer is that she accused the corporation of racism. (laughs) That would be the best. And sexism, of course. I'm sorry. Sexism and racism. Uh Uh-huh. The announcement comes three weeks after the corporation announced unanimous support for Gay after, quote, extensive deliberations, unquote, following the congressional hearing. Anyway, that is uh, actually, it's the plagiarism uh, that uh, really buried her. I mean, they're they're pretty uh, powerful. The New York when the New York Times starts reporting against you and you're on the left, you're you're really in trouble. This is from the New York Times today. Harvard's president faces new plagiarism accusations. An unsigned complaint published online in the Washington Free Beacon, a conservative journal, added to previous allegations. New plagiarism allegations have surfaced against Claudine Gay the president of Harvard, signaling that the attacks on her qualifications to lead the Ivy League University are continuing and miring the university deeper in debate over what constitutes plagiarism and whether Harvard holds its president and its students to the same standard. So that's the, uh, that was... That was the report in today's New York Times prior to her uh, doing, prior to her resigning. I want to know, what were her qualifications to be president of any university? Does, does, any, does anybody know? I would like to, huh? She, no, she, she had to have some. I mean, that, that, that appealed. What did she do? What was her field? I'll look it up. Hey, everybody, it's the Ultimate Issues Hour. Dennis Prager here. Third hour every Tuesday, some great issue. I have a great issue. I have said all of my life 
that the most important thing that a society can ask is how do we make good people? I have said that since, since I began writing in my 20s, since I began speaking in my 20s. That's the most important question. How do you make good people? Not angels, not even saints. Some people might be saintly, but my preoccupation has always been with goodness. In my, what are the 1990s, or that's when I met Alan Estrin, my producer, man who came up with the PragerU idea, and who's sitting next to me right now. And we together made a terrific video. It's on YouTube. Rich Markey made it possible. David Zucker directed it. The famous co-writer with his brother Jerry of Airplane. One of the most successful directors and writers in the Hollywood history of the late 20th century, early 21st. It's hilarious and powerful, and it's called For Goodness Sake. It's a video about being good. You can see it, by the way. It is up on the Internet. For Goodness, just put in For Goodness Sake, Dennis Prager, and show it to your kids. It's fantastic. It it is hilarious, brilliantly acted. Uh, I'm in every scene. I'm not the brilliant actor. I'm just in every scene explaining an idea. And it's all about goodness. There was a recent critique of me in a, I think it's a Catholic magazine, and in Crisis, is that, that's the magazine, correct? Yeah, I, I sent it to you. you, you yes, I, I have it too, but I have to, I'll get it from you. And he said, Dennis Prager is satisfied with people being good. He said, I don't want, I'm not interested in making saints. He, Dennis Prager, that uh, I'm interested in making good people. And, yeah, I, I don't see it on the uh, on, on the trillion. Yeah, it's there. I believe you, but I don't see it. Again. It's okay, I have it. Uh, it it's, so what the man did in, in writing this critique of me, because he, he thought it, that it's, it's a poor statement that I made, that I'm not interested in making saints... I'm interested in making uh, good people. And what he does in the article is fascinating. He said, we, we religious people, we can't be satisfied with mediocrity. As if good is mediocre. It's a fascinating piece. Yeah. Unlike Dennis Prager's silo approach to sin... The Christian view of sin includes a wholesome, integrated view of the human person. Okay, I, I, that's the summary, but it's not really uh, what, uh, what I'm talking about. I'm going to look up uh, here, mediocre. Here. So he said, Prager's non-eschatological Practicality, 
to rectify society, but we are called to perfection. And then he, he quotes, quotes Revelation three fifteen to 16, and we are called to be shaken out of the comfort of mediocrity. From sports to business, secular culture readily recognizes that if one shoots for mediocrity, surely not even that will be achieved. Prager, it would seem, is getting the world he signed up for, a world where medi- mediocre goals fail to achieve even the desired mediocrity. Do we thirst for souls, or are we just trying to be Prager-esque, good people, while hoping to lead others to the same mediocrity? So he keeps speaking about goodness as if it's mediocrity. I never use that term. It's not in my mind. If you're mediocre, you're not good. Isn't it's a terrible sleight of hand. I'm, I'm unhappy that, not because I'm attacked, I'm attacked all the time, but I'm unhappy because it's, it, it's in a prestigious journal, Crisis. I believe it's a Catholic uh, journal. Is, is Am I right? It's a Catholic journal. There was so much evil on earth that, yes, I, I actually am satisfied if we were to make good people, that's correct. It is amazing to me how goodness is in so many people's minds, in, including especially perhaps religious people, many religious people, boring. You know, I've often said, often over decades, God wants us to be good, bores many religious people. There's no doubt in my mind about that's why I've said it. And religious people are my allies, obviously. But this may be an area where we differ, which is fine. The notion that you have to agree with your allies on every subject is childish. It's truly childish. I want people to be good. God wants people to be good. I don't know why that's mediocre. I don't know why that's not wonderful. If people were good, there would be no communism or Nazism. If people were good, the world would be almost like the Garden of Eden. Why is aiming for goodness not sufficient? I mean, we have the famous line of the prophet Micah, in the Old Testament, I'll get it for you right now, it's Micah 6, 8, where God's desire for us is basically summed up. And here's the New, Eng- New International Version, NIV uh, translation. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. See, how's that? What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. You want, that's what is good. Why, what's, what's wrong with that? 1-8 Prager 776. 
Do you do you think most people are good? I don't. Most people are nice, at least in this country. Nice and good are not the same thing. I've made that point over and over. They were nice people who believed in the most horrific doctrines. It's not easy to be a good person. And if that were achieved, can't be per- we can't be perfect. God didn't make us with that possibility. So, I've been uh, criticized in a number of places because I said in a debate with a Catholic thinker, a young Catholic man who has his own podcast, that it was a debate about a lot of things, including whether sins are, whether thoughts can be sins. My belief is that overwhelmingly, only behavior is sinful. And many people differ with me. That's fine. I don't have a problem with people I love and admire differing with me. It doesn't invalidate them in my eyes, and I hope I'm not invalidated in their eyes. If we agreed on everything, we would be the same. So uh, my, my take was, I said, look, maybe you know it's saintly to have only pure thoughts, but I'm not interested in making saints. I'm paraphrasing what I said. I'm interested in making good people, and I think God is too, as I just read to you from Micah. But others believe that we should strive for perfection, and maybe you can in one arena of life, your work, uh, but uh, you think you could be a perfect parent no matter how hard you strive? Of course not. What you strive is to be a good parent. Good doesn't mean mediocre. There's good, then there's mediocre, then there's bad. It's dishonest to equate, as this writer in Crisis Magazine did, I won't say his name because I don't want to humiliate him or insult him, but this notion that Prager says we we should be good, he's satisfied with mediocrity, whew, you know how hard, as I said earlier, you know how hard it is to be a good person? You know, the greatest goodness, well, among the greatest goodnesses, I mean, there, there are so many examples, obviously, but the non-Jews who hid Jews during World War II risked their lives to save someone they didn't know, someone of a different religion, even perhaps they would think a different ethnicity. How many were they? Not many. These were truly good people. Now you may say, well, they were saintly. Maybe they were. Did they have saintly thoughts? I don't know. Schindler, of Schindler's List, saved a thousand Jews, right? Is that right? A thousand Jews about? And uh, the guy not only (laughs) had sinful thoughts, the guy was a uh, serial adulterer. Life is complex, isn't it? A serial adulterer saved a thousand Jews. 
during the Holocaust. Well, I mean, I leave it to God to to how he he is judged. But I'll tell you, between you and me, if there were more people who saved Jews in the Holocaust, I, I would accept an increase uh, in the amount of infidelity. If there were more people who saved people from the gulag, people from from China, China's gulags, there are gradations of evil. I don't defend adultery, needless to say. It's one of the Ten Commandments. God thinks it's a pretty damn serious thing, and so do I. But being good is a real challenge. How many parents tell their children, the most important thing I want is that you be a good person? Your character is more important than your grades. How many parents say that to their kids? It's close to zero. Your character is more important than your grades. Okay, let's uh, go to your calls here. Saluda, North Carolina. Martha, hello. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for Um, calling. I have never called a radio station or anything like this before. Um, So it's a little nerve-wracking for me, but I have been thinking about it for months and months since I started listening to you. And I find nothing about you mediocre. I have felt like I have learned such a great deal about wisdom as well as knowledge. And um, I, I think that each day when I listen to you, I have learned something and so many times something that you will say will just spark something in my mind and make me realize that either I was thinking correctly about something or I was just totally thinking incorrectly about something. And each day when I listen to you, it's always something worthwhile. And I feel like um, I have grown in knowledge of a lot of things, but hopefully more than anything, um, I have grown in wisdom. Well, and, uh, um, listen. You, I appreciate you. I, I, I'm very touched. But I, more than touched, that's the reason I, I think I was put on earth. I, want, I wrote it in my journal or my diary when I was a junior in high school. I know what I want to do with my life, influence people to the good. I use the word good. I knew I had an ability to talk to people in a direct and compelling way. And if I used it for goodness... I felt that that would justify my time on earth. I never thought of goodness as mediocrity, as the writer in Crisis Magazine thinks I do. Hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. This is the Ultimate Issues Hour. It's a big one. Well, they're all big. That's why they're called Ultimate Issues. So that's 
redundant. I have uh, been uh, accused recently in a number of religious journals of being satisfied with goodness when I should aim for human saintliness. And I am responding here. I think if you're a good person, and I think it's possible to be a good person, it's not possible to be perfect. A handful of people might achieve sainthood in, in some way. But that is not... Uh, the the aim of people, of the vast majority of people, should be to be a good person. The world would be the Garden of Eden if everybody were good. If there were no saints and everybody was good, we wouldn't even need saints. We sort of need saints to counteract the number of evil people on earth. Well, it's rare, but I'll take it anonymous in Manhattan, in New York City. Hello. Hello, Dennis. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you. So I am Catholic, um, probably as Catholic as you can be. I'm actually about to enter uh, training to become a priest. And I, I think this notion of everybody has to be saints, as much as it's a beautiful goal, it leads to a loss of reality. And it leads to this idea among clergy, and then therefore among certain people in congregations, that you can't be good without any sort of sin. And that's just not real. And that drives people away because it's an unrealistic expectation to set. Wow. I I can't wait for you to be a priest because that message is so important. And uh, I'll tell you something that I think will resonate with you, but if it doesn't, you tell me. There are many times that I am with deeply religious people, Catholic, Protestant, Jew, and I feel that I can't be as real as I can with others. I love these people. I really do. They're wonderful. They're my allies. But your word is my favorite word, perhaps in English, real. And uh, I, I, I salute you because I think that some of your training will knock out this realness from you. Yes, it's, it's certainly going to. I mean, I'll give you just a very brief example. If you read what they tell you uh, when you're hearing confessions, you're not allowed to have vices. I mean, give me a break. Well, give what me does that break. mean? For example, certainly uh, Catholicism allows people, for example, to drink alcohol. Mm. and a gamble, right? Right. You're, you're right there. You're right there. Yeah, but doing anything even slightly to the excess is... Well, my, 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 uh, I, my difference would lie to the extent that there is a difference in the issue of sinful thoughts. Do, in confession, do people confess thoughts? Uh, I, I'm not in a place where I can hear confessions yet, but I know I don't. Hmm, interesting. I'd like Catholics to call me and tell me if they confess sinful thought. Well, you stay in touch with me, my friend. I hope we meet one day. 
Yeah, I think the real part comes from uh, the the issue of thoughts as sin. So you're constantly monitoring how you think and how you speak. I mean, we should always monitor how we speak in the sense that we shouldn't use our mouth to be malicious or to gossip unnecessarily or maliciously. One eight Prager seven seven six, and let's go. Okay, we'll go in a moment. We have some challenges here, which is good. Jeremy in Colorado Springs says Jesus said no man is good. Did he say that? Uh, he might have. Uh, I'll find out when we come back. One eight Prager seven seven six. Ultimate issues hour. Dennis Prager show. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.